You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Open God's holy word to Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. I'll be reading verses, seven, verses 12 through 21. Our focus will be on verses 17 through 21. Philippians three twelve through 21. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you, that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, Join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, God of light and truth, perfect in all your ways, holy, righteous, immutable, infinite and glorious. How Great a gift was bestowed on us at creation simply in making us in your image to be a reflection of you. Have mercy on us that we create things in our own image. That instead of imitating you, we would make such lame idols. Father, show us our idolatry. Show us what fools we are for imitating such small things. Foster afresh and more deeply a healthy discipling and imitating of one another as we imitate Christ and grow up into His image. And praise be to you that we, though we were created in your image and have sinned against you so, that you would renew us in Christ to reflect your glory and beauty. And so for the glory of Christ, the glory of your name, we ask this. Amen. It is said that imitation is the highest form of flattery. And while that can be true in an innocent and even a good way, the fuller quote speaks to the fuller reality. It was Oscar Wilde who said 
that imitation is the highest form of flattery, and he continued that mediocrity can pay to greatness. Now, that comes off the tongue a bit more sharply and grates on the ears. You can, you can sense the arrogance therein. And yet, that's a game that the masses are content to play. The imitation that this world knows isn't simply flattery. It is idolatry. We imitate the gods because we want to be one ourselves so that others look at us the way we look at them. We imitate the gods because we want to be one. Image is valued over integrity, coolness over character in this. That's the imitation of this world. In contrast... Christian imitation, imitation as it was meant to be, should be an act of worship. And once again, we pick up a text where Paul has one central command, and then all this elaboration and undergirding of it happens alongside it. So the command is to imitate Paul and to imitate those who imitate Paul. Verse 17 Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The us would include Timothy, those endorsed by Paul, sent out by Paul. Imitate me and imitate those who imitate me. That's, that's the command. Now, our culture is largely one where the gods invite imitation passively. They parade about. And so we can be struck as thinking that Paul is so arrogant and that he commands it. He invites it here. But it's the imitation that this world puts forward that's really arrogant. Because when it's, whenever that happens, the invitation is, be like me, myself. End. They themselves become the, the, the standard to which you are to measure up. It's not so with Paul. There's, there's no kind of subjective uh, effort to be like Paul in his idiosyncrasies, the p- things that make Paul unique and distinct from other Christians. There's something objective that's outside Paul that's the standard to which whenever you're wanting to imitate Paul, you're wanting to be conformed not to Paul's distinct Paulness. But that thing which Paul himself is striving after. The call to imitation here, you need to see, is nothing more than a call to discipleship. Whenever Jesus called his disciples, he often did so with the command, follow me. And he says to those who follow, them, follow him, make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Follow me. And make disciples. And one thing making disciples means is coming alongside others and saying, follow me. The way we make disciples is not simply with our minds and with our mouths, but with our hands and our feet. We teach with our minds, our mouths, and our hands and our feet. uh, Discipleship means theological instruction but it's theological instruction that comes out of our hands as well as our mouths. Disciples don't need to be simply told what righteousness is. They need it modeled before them. Paul pleads with the Corinthians, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have Countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent Timothy, sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. He wanted them to be reminded not simply of his theology, of his truth, but of his ways. And the particular ways he has in mind are his ways in Christ. Those ways are the same thing that he refers to here as this walk. Keep your eyes on those who walk 
according to the example you have in us. Discipleship involves life. Paul then is not putting forward with this a blanket invitation to be like Paul. Paul is not the standard. He's wanting to imitate his ways in Christ. When this world imitates, the result will be that people will say, he looks just like, or more often it's, he's trying to be like. And what's being imitated is all superficial. Style, dress, demeanor, image, or if it's more substantial, it's something like methods for success, achievement. Whenever the saints do imitation, the, result, the, the results, it, it may sometimes be said something like, look, R.C. Sproul, or he's trying to be like John MacArthur. And there are instances where that happens in both good and bad ways. But whenever imitation's being done as Paul calls for it here, the, the real ultimate result is not that people say, hey, look, there's another Paul. The result will be that they'll say, look, Christians, little Christs. Whenever you do imitation in this righteous and godly way, you, you become more yourself. Because you're not trying to copy the idiosyncrasies, you're trying to copy the integrity. You're not trying to copy the coolness, you're trying to copy the character. And so all the particular outside superficial things that really distinguish you remain. And it's the heart being conformed to Christ that makes the difference. You're not, you're not imitating looking in a mirror with vanity as the as the objective, people looking at you the way you look at these others. Righteous imitation frees you to act naturally, to be yourself. Your concern becomes obedience more than being observed. You want to look at Christ more than you want to be looked at. You want to look at Christ and look like Christ more than you want to be looked at. Paul went on to tell the Corinthians... Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If you think being an imitator of me means walking with a certain kind of swagger, you've missed the point. You're only to imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. Douglas Wilson writes in 1 Corinthians 11, we learn that when we are imitating Paul, we're imitating an imitator. Paul himself is imitating Christ The original pattern was not set by Paul, but rather by the Lord Jesus. He imitated Christ, and so we are to imitate Him. To the extent that Paul is imitating Jesus, we are to be imitating Paul. One of the central things that we must imitate is this pattern of imitation itself. So whenever you're looking for someone to imitate, you're wanting to imitate their imitation of Jesus. Imitation goes awry in the church whenever we look to the peripheral, we look to the peculiar concerning the person themselves. Whenever we try to be like John or Jane, because people look at John and Jane as godly people. And so we want to be looked at like John and Jane are looked at as godly people. Rather than imitating them because we want to look like Jesus and we want others to look to Jesus. In what specific way might Paul be calling for imitation right here? As you step back, I want you to, if you, if you can't readily pick up on it, you can't see it just by recalling where we've been in our journey through Philippians, I want you to take some time to recollect and to recognize how the theme of imitation permeates this letter. What Paul has been commanding with his words, he has been commending with his life again and again and again throughout this letter. In 127, he tells them, live as heavenly citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
And as he is imprisoned here and his relating to the Philippians and their gift to him and his situation, he is demonstrating through the very letter itself living as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. What that means. He commands them to be of the same mind and count others as more significant than themselves in 2, 2 through 5. And here Paul is, he is in prison. And while he could understandably want to hold on to Epaphroditus and Timothy out of self-concern, he talks about how his heart yearns for them to be together. And he sends these men away. He models this concern for them in the very letter itself. This letter, I mean, whenever we begin, Paul's in prison, they've sent a gift to him, and you're expecting him to communicate something of his own situation, and Paul just speaks of his joy and contentment and redirects. He commands them to do all things without grumbling and disputing and rejoice in the Lord. 2.14, Paul says he offers up his prayers for the Philippians with joy. He tells them he's learned to be content in whatever his situation. And whenever others are preaching the gospel, while Paul is in prison in hope to cause Paul pain, Paul says, if it's the true gospel being preached, I rejoice. Read through this letter this week. Just take one chapter a day. So only four days this week. Take one chapter, spend five minutes reading it, and then five minutes reflecting on how again and again Paul commends with his life what he commands with his words. And you'll see this theme runs through this letter. It's, it's to see the makeup of this letter in this way. It's just it's brilliant, it's glorious, it's genius, it's craftsmanship in this regard is stunning. And so understanding this, maybe sensing something of this, can you see how once again we've really come to what, is, what we've seen so often in this letter? It's another encompassing command. It's a command that really speaks as broadly as the whole of the Christian life. So whenever Paul says, imitate me, you you get the sense. He's saying, not that I have it all together, not that I've arrived, but that all together I want all my life to be lived unto Christ under His Lordship for His glory. And so follow me. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm not about discipling hypocrites. I don't want to disciple you in how to put on a good public face. He calls for them to keep their eyes on those who walk, they live, they carry out their lives according to the example that they have in Paul. Paul does not say, follow me during these hours. The invitation is as broad as Christ was, follow me, imitate me. Now, if you can't wrap your mind around that thinking of what about Paul's faults and failures, recognize that imitating Paul would mean imitating his repentance as well as his righteousness. Even so, I think Paul has something specific in view at this particular point in his letter. The imitation Paul, I think, is specifically aiming here concerns pressing on as he just spoke of. And that it involves pressing on, specifically, I think is brought out whenever he speaks of those who no longer are in the next verse. But before we get there, two questions I think you should feel weighing heavily on you at this point are, one, who are you imitating? Who are the Instagram influencers that you are putting before your eyes and you're saying, I want a house like them. What you're really saying is, the way I look at that, I want others to look at me the way I'm looking at that. Whose house 
You're saying, I want to imitate that. The question I would ask then is, are you as concerned to put before you models of renovating the temple of you in the image of Christ? Do you have the same concern to have imitations, imitators before you so that you're conformed to the image of Christ as a living temple of the holy God of heaven? Who are the fashionistas, ladies, that you try to mimic? And do you realize that you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ? You are so clothed before the holy God of heaven that He thinks you're stunning because He sees Christ. Do you take as much care to put on the armor of God? Ephesians 6. Or as much care to put off the old man and put on the new man? Colossians 3. Men, whose toys or prestige or power or success are you trying to emulate? Examine your life. Imitation is. And if you don't take control of what kind of is it is, your imitation will be idolatrous rather than worshipful. So who are you imitating? And the saints say Christ, Jesus. Of course, by grace, in our best moments, we are. Yes, we, imitating Christ, we should imitate Christ, but imitating Christ means imitating imitators of Christ. Who are you imitating? Paul wrote to the Ephesians telling them that the risen Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God gave this church shepherds and teachers so that they could measure up to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Christ gave shepherds and teachers to come alongside the flock and say, Follow me. Now, that's a fearful thing. It makes me tremble. But it's inescapably biblical. And if the invitation isn't being extended, it doesn't communicate humility as much as it communicates disobedience. Hebrews 13, 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider their way of life and imitate their faith. Jeremy Wren writes, God has called elders to be men worth imitating. A healthy church typically has many people, men and women, whose example we could follow. But when a church appoints a man to be an overseer, it is formally saying, here is an official church-recognized example of, ma of a mature follower of Jesus. He's not the only example, not a perfect example. Not necessarily the best example in that congregation of every single Christian virtue. But an elder is a duly designated model none, nonetheless. By affirming someone as an elder, the church says, imitate him as he imitates Christ. A church should be able to direct a newborn believer to an elder and say, do you want to know what a real Christian should be like? Then look at him. To put it another way, an elder's job involves shepherding by being as well as by doing. Elders pastor churches not only by what they do, but also by who they are. And without the being, the doing falls apart. Saints, neither I nor any of the other elders are a perfect example. We are all too aware of our plethora of imperfections. We're even aware of some of our own. Mostly I'm aware of just of Bob and Mark's, but I'm aware of some of my own as well. But I believe I can speak for us all whenever I say 
that we do have this singular focus. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we do so, we invite you, follow us. But that's not enough. Worldly imitation would be jealous at competitors for attention. But we recognize I am so pathetically not enough for you to get a picture of the Christ we want you to imitate. And so we look at the whole body of Christ. I want you to see Christ. I am insufficient for that. So look around. Look at the godly men and women that you've covenanted together with. Look at the men and women of faith recorded for us both in the inspired word and in the annals of church history. Look both to the living and the dead. Read church history. Read Christian biography. Look to those both within this body in particular and without. Look to those who honor Christ within the spheres of family and vocation and government and culture and missions as well as the church theology. Curate your reading and your scrolling and your browsing so that you're constantly putting before your eyes those worth imitating. And if you find that what you're putting before your eyes causes idolatry more than righteous imitation, redirect, repent. Second question. Who is imitating you? Remember again, imitation is So do it intentionally both ways. Don't just take intentionality about who you're imitating. Be intentional about who's imitating you. And for many of you, this is really easy. Your parents. Imitation is. Whenever you're irate and raising your voice, telling them to take responsibility. Well... Imitation will happen. And the lesson that's sticking in that moment is not responsibility. It's learning how to handle being irritated. Imitation is, Douglas Wilson writes, there are few places where the ramifications of this principle of imitation are as important as in child rearing. Imitation is absolutely crucial for child rearing. You do not want your children imitating you unless you are imitating God. If you're not imitating and pursuing God sincerely and openly beholding His face in worship weekly, being transformed from one degree of glory to another, then the last thing you should want is for your children to imitate you. However, the bad news is that your children will copy you, regardless of whether you want them to or not. When your child is born, you might cast around for an instruction manual. You may feel as if you have no idea what you are doing. However, there's a false premise in the worry. You do have a Bible. You must worship God. Imitate Him and ask Him to walk with you as you take up the challenge of being a parent. Imitation is, so take responsibility for what kind of is it is. That not only includes who you're imitating, that includes being someone worthy of imitation. Husbands, you're to lead, and your leadership doesn't mean you get to steer the vessel anywhere you wish. It does not mean you get to plot the course ahead. It means making sure that you're taking the steps that your wife should take. Taking the steps that your children should take. It means you are taking steps so that when they follow you, they're following Christ. And if you don't think any eyes are watching you, well, understand they are. But if you don't think any eyes are watching you, it's this simple. Your call is to follow Jesus, and when you do so, you'll be someone worth following. Follow Jesus 
and you'll be someone worth following. And whenever you find a saint who's just a few steps behind in their journey, they're where you just were, then come alongside them and say, follow me. Imitation is and imitation should be. Our Lord commands us, make disciples, and making disciples means inviting others to imitate us as we imitate Christ. Now in verse 18, Paul begins to lay down grounds for why the Philippians should imitate him and those who follow the example he's laid down. And his reason is this, because imitation is, if you are not following a good example, you are becoming a bad one. Why imitate Paul? Because if you're not following a good example, you're becoming a bad one. For, because many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. If you're not following someone who's pressing on, you are becoming someone who is falling back. Paul is commanding imitation for the prevention of deviation. Critical to understanding this reason is the identity of those Paul is speaking of. We are, every one of us in Adam, born enemies of God. Here he's not talking about those. He's talking about many, not all, many. He's not talking about all humankind. He's talking about someone that he has a special grief for. That he's warned the Philippians. He's spoken to these people in particular to the Philippians. Who are they? I think they're identical to those John speaks of in his first letter, chapter 2. Verses 18 through 19, children, it is the last hour and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now, many Antichrist have come. This next part is shocking. Who are these Antichrist? And we always have... You have Tim LaHaye left behind in your mind when you think Antichrist. Listen to who the Antichrists are. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. Who are these antichrists? They were persons who were at one time in the church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are all, that, that they all are not of us. They're persons who were once thought to be of the body of Christ, and now they are anti-Christs. They are against Christ. And the way you note that they are against Christ is they are against Christ's church. They have abandoned her. This is why Paul speaks of those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Why does he weep over them? Because of this very thing that's happened. These persons failed to obey Paul's command to imitate those who imitate Christ. And thus, failing to follow a good example, they've become a bad one. Paul has called for the Philippians to live as heavenly citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. And now you see in contrast to that are these who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's life is an imitation of Christ and he says he even wants to imitate Christ in his death, becoming like him in his sufferings that by any means possible he may attain to the resurrection of the dead, verses 10 and 11. Paul's life is cruciform. He follows the crucified Christ in hope of resurrection. He follows the risen Christ, ruling and redeeming. These men have failed to follow such an example. Thus they grieve Paul, rebelling against Christ, shunning the example of the apostle, they have become apostate. Imitation for prevention of deviation. 
Now, who are these apostate enemies? Paul has just spoken of the Judaizers, those dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. And he's dealt with perfection recently. And so you might think, well, he's talking to legalists, but that's your first impression. But then you read the description of them. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And so you might think, well, now he's addressing libertines. It's the danger on the other side. He has dealt with the legalists, the Pharisees. Now he's speaking the antinomians, those who have no regard for the law because free grace, live however you wish. But recognize that this description can just as easily apply to the Judaizers. Speaking of them in Galatians 6, Paul says that they want to have you circumcised to avoid persecution for the cross of Christ. They want to have you circumcised so that they can boast in your flesh. Or Jesus in in Matthew chapter 6 says that the Pharisees practice their acts of piety to be seen by others. The paths of the pagan and the Pharisee seem to diverge, but it's the same path and it's the same end, destruction. Both live according to fleshly appetites and lusts. Both glory in what is their shame. Both set their mind on earthly things. Now Paul's intent though here, intent, notice, is not to dial in on the particular way that these persons became enemies of the cross. It's not to to deal with their heresy as such and refute it. The point is for you to dial in on imitating those who imitate Christ for the purpose of not becoming an enemy of the cross of Christ, whatever the flavor. The point isn't to deal with a particular heresy. The point is for you to avoid becoming an advocate of one by your life. So here Paul's command here, mingled with his tears for those who have become enemies of the cross of Christ, desiring that they would imitate Him so that they would not become like these persons. If you're not imitating, you are deviating. Imitation is, if you're not following Christ, it does not matter who you are following. You're following someone. We are made imitators. Imitation is. Sure, by God's common grace, there are large numbers of unbelievers that we can learn much from in certain spheres. But where we should want to imitate them is in areas where we see they unwittingly are imaging forth their good creator. And all of our imitating then is to be an act of worship even when theirs isn't. I'm imitating you because unbeknownst to you, you're reflecting my good Father right now. Or my good Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we are not righteously imitating, we are sinfully idolizing. If we're not imitating, as Paul commands here, we are deviating. And Paul next presents a contrast And the contrast is an extension of this argument of why they should imitate him. Not only because of who the false teachers are and their end, destruction, but because of who they are and their end in Christ. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of who you are, Imitate. There can be no imitation without regeneration. If you've not been born again in Christ, you cannot grow up into His image. If the tree is to bear good fruit, it needs to be made a good tree. The crab apple will never bear a honey crisp by imitating the honey crisp. Its fruit will still be tart. Luther said that, well, he's reputed to have said, it is not imitation that makes us sons, it is sonship that makes us imitators. Heavenly citizens are born. None are naturalized. 
Heavenly citizenship is a gracious gift of God by the new birth. It is never merited by what we do. Our heavenly citizenship means there should be a contrast then. It's a contrast between those who have their citizenship in heaven and those who, verse 19, set their minds on earthly things. Instead of the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, the saints think on, 4 and verse 8, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's lovely, whatever's pure, whatever's commendable. They consider one thing, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead for the goal, the prize, the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. From our homeland, we await a king. His coming, knowing that when He returns manifestly, He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Speaking of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that Jesus was the first fruits. There's a harvest coming. If you want to know what the harvest is, Jesus is the first fruits that's been gleaned from that harvest already. He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. We follow Jesus in His humiliation now in hope of exaltation later. Imitation now speaks to and is part of and is going towards the transformation that will be absolute and complete later. Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Your imitation is not simply an imitation of Christ. It's an imitation of who you will be in Christ. A becoming of who you've already been declared to be in Christ. And the power by which we will be transformed is the power, the very same power that allows, enables Christ to subject everything to Himself. Now Christ has forever had all authority. But this is speaking of His authority as the God-man to renew, to redeem. Under the first Adam, who was given dominion, creation fell subject to the curse. And under the second Adam, and His dominion, all will be renewed and blessed. In Romans 8, 16-25, Paul tells us that creation groans with longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Because on the day when the sons of God are renewed, transformed, it tells us creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. The power you are going to be transformed with is the power of Christ to renew all things. Right now, as a citizen of heaven, you are a sojourner, an exile, a foreigner. But you must not think that you're a refugee of a fallen and defunct kingdom seeking shelter to be absorbed and conformed to the dominant, more powerful kingdom to which you fled. 
No, you are part of the kingdom that's advancing. You're a foreigner because you're an expeditionary force. This world is fading away. Its end is destruction. You are a citizen of heaven and you will be transformed by the power that enables Jesus Christ to subject all things to Himself. You are no refugee. Walk around on this dirt, though it's not now yours. You're in exile, but knowing in Christ, you own the place. It's His inheritance. And the meek will inherit the earth. You should not blend in. You should stand out. Whenever Jesus commanded His church to make disciples, He prefaced it by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Jesus Again, he's eternally had all authority. He's speaking because of his crucifixion and resurrection, the authority that he has to rule redemptively for the sake of his bride. With that said, come back to the command. Does it not land on you with more gravity and glory now? Imitate those who imitate Christ. You are a citizen of of heaven. The Philippians were privileged in the ancient world. You have to recognize how loaded all this language that Paul has been using is in this context. The Philippians were privileged in the ancient world. They were a Rome away from Rome. They were a Roman colony. And the confession that marked them as Romans was Caesar is Lord. He is the Savior of Rome. But we are citizens of heaven. And from our homeland, we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His by the power that enables Him to subdue even all things to Himself. Why would you want to deviate and become an enemy of the cross of Christ whenever you can imitate the Christ of the resurrection? Imitation will give way to transformation. You are a citizen of heaven. Live worthy of the gospel. The gospel that includes the renewal of all things. All the imitations of this world are cheap imitations. We are created in the image of God to image forth God. We are created mirrors to reflect His glory. Imitation is. But because of sin, we are, as Luther said, curved in on ourselves. We want to reflect ourselves as though we were God. And so we've created idols in our own image. And having now worshipped them, we're becoming like them. We're made in the image of God, but now we've made something in our own image. We've turned in on ourselves, so no longer looking to God, we're becoming what we worship. And in regards to idols, it means we're becoming deaf, dumb, and dead. By sin, the image of God is marred, but the saints have been renewed in the image of Christ. And we're being conformed to His image as we imitate Christ. And a chief way that we imitate Christ is by imitating those who imitate Christ. One way you obey this command, exactly the way that you obey this command, is by looking to those who do. Imitate people who are imitating. Oscar Wilde was wild, was onto something. Imitation is a high form of worship that sinners pay to greatness. 
The difference is that our Lord stooped to serve. And those whom He has so served would never dare presume to usurp or outshine Him. We want to be like Jesus and we will be like Jesus, but we don't want to be Jesus. Our goal is not to idolize in hope of becoming an idol, but to imitate as an act of worship, imaging forth our Savior and Lord, knowing we will forever be only a mirror. But oh, what blessed privilege. Why, why would I want to be or reflect? Why would I want to be like anything less? Why would I wouldn't want to reflect something so pathetic? Whenever the high calling of God towards us in Christ is to image forth our glorious and blessed Lord. So look to Him. And one way you look to Him is to look around and see those who look like Him. And desire to imitate them so that they see Jesus the way you've seen Jesus in them. Let's pray. Holy Father, Thank you for the high honor of being children of such a father and such an older brother. Forgive us when we would want to imitate anything outside of this blessed family that you've brought us into by Christ. Conform us all to the image of Christ. More and more so that so that there's so many healthy models for us to imitate. Father Ruin us for any kind of deceptive notion of thinking we're imitating those who are imitating you whenever we really just want eyes drawn to ourselves. Forgive us when we use holy things in unholy ways. Father, build a healthy thriving culture of discipleship among us. Living openly and discipling by our lives as well as our mouths. In the strong name of Jesus we ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.